Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're at Update.NET conference in Prague. We are. In the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Lovely people. Yeah. We, went, we had a speaker's dinner up on this weird tower. Yes. Uh, it was very interesting. It's called the Tower. It, yeah, the Tower of Prague. Yeah. I think. yeah. And uh, we were on the observation deck. And of course, it's way up there. Yeah. It was great. I mean, it's great to see old friends here yep. and make some new friends as yep. well. And we'll definitely fun. be back next year. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I got something um, topical for Better Know Framework today. So roll that IoT crazy music. All right, dude, what do you got? Okay. So this is a um, collection of... 20 crazy connected IoT products at CES 2018. Oh, no. You were at CES 2018, were you? I was not at 2018. I've been to CES before. Oh, but, okay. You know. I thought you were there. Anyway, so they start off kind of silly. Mm-hmm. I, it took me to get to number 13 before I found something that I actually thought was useful. So, we should skip all the way to 13? Yeah, just, I'm going to 13. So it's not f- like a fork with an IP address. No, it, but right? bicycle handlebars. Smart handlebars. That's number 13. That's number one. Okay. No, that's number one. Because listen, bike people are nuts. They are. Yeah. And it's like, they they, they get like IP addresses in their pedals for crying out loud. And all it does really is GPS and, you know, location. So, if somebody steals your bike, I know where it is. Okay. Smart handlebars. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Fine. Yeah, sure. So, what was number 13? So, the phone does that. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So, uh, number 13 is also about biking. Weird. Also about cycling. But I thought this was actually worth talking about. It's the Omni Smart Cycling Helmet. Okay. I'm just going to read this off here. Wearables company Koros, and I don't know how you pronounce that. It could be Soros. It's C-O-R-O-S. Showed off its Omni Smart Cycling Helmet during CES. This smart biking helmet features bone conducting audio points in the straps. So, users can listen to music but still have their ears free to hear the traffic. That's interesting. Environment Rather than them. putting earbuds in, which are kind of dangerous when you're riding a and bike. And also might be illegal. I'm in yeah, some places wearing earbuds me. is illegal, yeah, yeah. even when driving a car. Um, and, and this is the best part. If the rider gets into a collision, the helmet's built-in sensor alerts emergency contacts through an alert on the phone. The Omni Bike Helmet launched this upcoming quarter, so it's probably launched for around $200. So, what I want to know is... If you're going under a particularly aggressive acorn tree in the fall, uh, oak tree. <laughs> That's an aggressive and, the, and a squirrel just starts dumping acorns on your hat. Uh, go all out, man. Uh, are you gonna, so, you're riding under a coconut tree. 911, what's yeah. the emergency? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, this topic of IoT and intelligent, smart things gone yeah. wrong oh, is yeah. just, there's so much room it's, for comedy it's here. It's just one gag after the it, other. It's one gag after the yeah, other. It really Look, is. Yeah. I mean, from our gag about, you know, talking directly to Siri and, and yeah. uh, Alexa. Never mind. Never mind. And uh, <laughs> all of that. It's just part Don't of it. Don't do that to people. It's but, mean. But anyway, I would definitely go through all 20 of these. Mm-hmm. Some of them are kind of cool, but I got to 13 and said, yeah, okay, that's that's worth talking about. That's I like that one. All right. So, lots of gadgets still at CES. Lots of gadgets. And also, you know, I kind of think, and we'll, we'll talk to our guests here about this, but I kind of think that the innovation in IoT isn't happening in the consumer space. No, not yet. I, I think, think it's in the industrial yeah, space still. Still in business. That yeah. makes sense. 
Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off a show 1593. So not that long ago, end of October. That was Brian Kostanich's show where we talked about Meadow. Yeah, that's right. Which had a great Kickstarter. It really did. You know, that first day, which happened to be the day we released the show. Mm -hmm. Oh, coincidence. They made their goals and they've been raising and going higher and uh, probably over by the time this show gets published. But uh, no, I wish them every success and a really cool kit they're building there. I ordered one. I'm going to play with their stuff. Me too. And uh, Jaguar, and I hope that I pronounced your name correctly, said, I really enjoyed the discussion about Meadow. I've been dabbling with home automation and related bits for a while now. Uh-huh. My biggest disappointment has always been that the accessible bits are just fun gimmicks, mm. while the really useful bits are, quote, not quite ready. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Be it some critical element or just price, all the really useful bits seem to be just out of reach. Hmm. The promise that Meadow makes is new, but I feel that this could be the one that actually delivers. I would love to see a Meadow case study, building out an entire home automation system covering all aspects from convenience to security. Mm-hmm. And then he switched to the Kickstarter tab and pressed F5 repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, You know, and it's interesting when you talk about home automation, which clearly I've been doing for years and years and to the point of literally upgrading old bits. It's not just the, the, the CPU devices that are the problem. It's how do your sensors work? How are you interacting with things? It gets really tough to build a generalized solution in that scenario. Yeah. That you kind of want, you know, I've been sort of going down the Nest line because I think the Nest cams are quite good. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I got one of their hellos, the, the doorbell. The doorbell, yeah. Um, but everybody I've talked to who's played with their security system says, not good. Like, just because it's coming from a big vendor doesn't mean they've actually figured it out. Good right. security systems are, are tricky. Yeah. And so, I think part of this is you've got to pick all the right hardware, and it's hard to unify all those bits together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a great, fun experiment and still tricky to do. So, Jaguar, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Go By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show... We'll send you a copy of Music to Go By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. And hey, look out for that car. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy connected IoT products you must buy. Right. (laughs) Uh, I also want to mention that Music to Code By is now 18 tracks. Yes, it is. And you can get the whole collection for $42. You're going to run out of colors at some point, I think. Otherwise, you can pay $5 a track. Mm -hmm. All right. And let's uh, introduce Jared Rhodes. He is a Microsoft MVP for Azure who focuses on devices, cloud, and AI, trying to find the subsection of those and make them work together. Lately, he's been working with AI and edge computing as they evolve together. Welcome, Jared. It's nice to be here. It's nice to uh, talk to somebody from our part of the world over here, which is interesting. You're uh, from Atlanta? I am. And you came to uh, Update.net. What do you think? This this is nice. I really like this. Uh, This conference is well put together. I agree. Uh, I've been to some of them stateside that aren't nearly this nice. Yeah. So have we. Yeah, conferences come in all shapes and sizes, but these guys have done a great job. They've done a great it's been, job. It's been a ton of fun. Not too big, but people are really engaged. I've had some great questions. What do you think about the the potential for humor in uh, IoT devices? Things gone wrong, you know, unexpected ways in which people abuse them, that kind of thing. Oh, it's you don't have to do a lot of work to find the humor, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. so much material available. It writes itself, really. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you made what? Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's even better is what doesn't get made if you go through Kickstarter and look at all the IoT devices. Oh, that fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ones it, that can't even get funding. Yeah. Kickstarter's on an automatic win. Like, you have to work at it. 
and uh, and let people know what's going on. I do expect I'll kickstarter the history of .NET book. So do you agree with my sentiment that the consumer space for IoT are solutions looking for problems maybe that uh, the, the real value right now in IoT is in the in is in industry and in uh, business? Uh, it it is and it isn't. Uh, the value from IoT it comes in something that usually the user doesn't directly interface with. Mm-hmm. It's something the good IoT really don't notice is there. Right. So yeah. if it's if it's we'll say connected car stuff. Right. You yeah. do, you just don't notice it. You don't have to deal with it. If you think even back in the day when OnStar came out, yeah, right. it came out today. We'd call it IoT, mm. but it came out before that term was even coined. My right. latest car makes me every thirty days agree to continue to allow send data. Mm-hmm. back to the to the factory hmm. uh, which is the only reason i know that it's going on except that now i get a monthly email hmm. from infinity oh. telling me about how my car is doing uh, it'd be great if it was from your car richard's car <laughs> at- <laughs> yeah but it is this connected uh, i i think we're so short of attention these days like our attention is under so much demand that you are it is not wise to make a product now that requires someone's attention Agreed. Right. Hmm. Like, yeah, I think it's another way of saying what you just said, which is that IoT devices succeed when people aren't even aware of them. They just help them. Well, certainly my most uh, popular music is music that people don't listen to. <laughs> music to not listen to. Is that the new title? You That's call the new title, it? Music yeah. to not listen to. Music you don't have to listen to. <laughs> Did you like it? I'm not really sure. I wasn't listening. But I was productive. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, we're struggling, I think, as a society over this idea that attention is now scarce and that we have to, and if, as product makers, we've got to be super thoughtful about how much attention it needs to be put into a product. But you're right, though, that, you know, the best IoT are just sensors that read, collect, and send out up data that you can then do something with up in the cloud. That, well, that's the most useful use of it. Or that you don't interface with knowingly. Right. Things right. that just work, like uh, my wife, we got her a leaf, and the little... You just walk up. You don't. All you have to have is the key on you, it's and the a door car. just opens. Nissan, right? Yeah, the Nissan Leaf. Yeah, right. So you walk up, and it just unlocks the door as long as the key is in your pocket. Right. You don't have to do any interaction there. You don't have to touch the key, but as long as you have it, right. and you're within proximity, it just works. Yeah, right. and that's an uh, RFID parlor trick right there, which is cool, and uh, has been around for a while. But yeah, I agree. Just those little things that make life more convenient. That's what it works. But da- you know, you see things like this. 20 crazy gadgets article and you wonder like what you know who who is going to use that like uh some of these things anyway and then well yeah within the people that i've worked with i've seen a lot of those get purchased and they don't get a lot of use they they build up it's like people who have a hobby hobbyist (laughs) buy it and they build up and you can see almost a museum of gadgets. Right. But you don't see a lot of use of those gadgets. Boy, that sounds like my whole office. Yeah, you can't even <laughs> get rid of them at a yard sale. That's no. the problem. No, I'm, uh, I'm now, you know, exporting unused technology by the ton in right. my basement. Yeah. You know, directly to recycling in some cases. I noticed in your session you were talking about the edge computing model. We did do a show a while back. Uh, it was Kevin with Scott that was talking about this sort of intelligent edge. That's Microsoft's terminology. Do you buy that? How do you describe it? How do I describe the, the, the intelligent the, edge? Or this idea of the intelligent edge. It really is just allowing for whenever you take in data, whenever, you cons- whenever you're, you're creating events, whether it be the, the GPS on the handlebars yeah, or yeah. whether it be something from your car. Right. 
It's about being able to put more layers in between it and the the actual utilization of that data. Right. So something to process it, consume it, utilize it. It's about being able to not have to have physical access to the device, but still be able to update that processing. So it's really about the edge of the internet at the source of data collection. You want to have as much intelligence there as possible. Depends. You don't want to have it. It, d- it depends on what you mean by source. Right. Okay. So if it's your car, then yes, at the source. Mm. If you're at a factory, don't have to be at the source. Yeah. Maybe you're at the machine. Maybe you're on the factory floor. Maybe right. you're in the office. Sure. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it, one of the things that Kevin Scott talked about was this whole, you just don't want to haul all that raw sensor data all the way to the cloud every time when much of it can be pre-processed. And just the constrained resource to me these days is the wire or the, the Wi-Fi. Mm. We've got lots of compute and we've got lots of storage, but we only have so much bandwidth. It is. It, it's partially that. And it's also uh, one of the big data sources, uh, the cognitive data sources. So, audio and video. Those mm-hmm. are big. Right. But if you set up and you have an entire plan on how to, to handle video data, process it, detect faces, whatever you want, you start streaming that and you'll notice that you're streaming it on your monthly bill. Right. That'll be the first place you notice it. If you can stream it, the first place you'll notice it is on the bill of getting all of that data up there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I put a bunch of Nest cameras into the Coast Place. Mm. Had to upgrade the internet plan for the, for the Coast Place. Mm. It's just that steady stream of all those cameras going to the cloud. It's a lot of bandwidth. So, in other words, in, if we were going to apply the intelligent edge here, you'd put a, up a server at your coast place, take all the video streams into that, and then once it detected motion, then it would send a stream to the mm. cloud and to you rather yeah. than... A motion or just event-based, right? Yeah. It's motion or whatever it is or right. detecting an animal, that's the, what should be fired up. I have um, Z cams on my um, Zmodo cams on my, in my studio. Mm-hmm. And I get a notification whenever there's motion detected in the studio. So, um, uh, you know, if a, a friend of mine who has a code for my doors goes in and shows it to a pr- prospective client, I get a notification and I can see it. But I don't know as if the the cameras are actually streaming to the internet until I look at the video. Yeah. Like maybe they're just streaming, a uh, motion was detected. But uh, I don't know. Actually, that's something that would be worth knowing. I noticed I had I don't have an increased bill, so yeah. that's good. so it may be it may be local until you look at it, right? Until but then again, my that. bandwidth isn't usage based. Yeah, it's not by the byte. It's, right, it's capped at a maximum speed for the. For so I don't know if I, I don't know if I would find it. Yeah, but you can check if you want. Just yeah, go sure. out and then unplug it one time and see what the. Uh, what the network traffic looks like. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I got to think with those kinds of streaming things, you have this continuous consumption of your bandwidth you could probably look at. Do you find when you're doing work in this IoT space that it is bandwidth the concern? Like, is that what you're typically constrained by? Because the form factors are still pretty small. Like, you still pretty compute constrained too. Yeah, you, you, it depends on the client and the use case. Mm-hmm. But you get constrained. I'll give, you, I can give, you, I'll give you scenarios. Sure. So one client, what they do is that. Do you remember the the cameras when you ran it when you when you ran a red light? It'd give you a ticket. Yeah, yeah. You remember how there was huge backlash and all the political stuff that went on, and they were like, "Oh, we're not going to do that anymore." And they took maybe a lot in of them your out. town. They're using them in my town. Oh, do <laughs> they still use them? Speed cameras are one thing, but red light cameras. I mean, they save lives. Yeah. You know, like I have a hard time being unhappy with a red light camera. The political problem that I had heard was 
the people who installed them mm-hmm. uh, turned it to turn the yellow light time down. Right. And then they got the revenue share from that it's, and it became a huge political thing. Yeah, that sounds a little conspiracy theory. I'd like to see the contract. No, no, people that. went to jail over it. Oh, okay. People so didn't really go to, was, so it did conf- conspiracy theory, but there was a conspiracy. Yeah, it's not a theory if there was a conspiracy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and so, wow. so some people got in trouble they, and then it became a thing. They, they no longer wanted those to give you a ticket. Mm. Yeah. So one of the clients I worked for, they decided since those cameras are still there, because all they did was make it where you don't get the ticket anymore. Mm. Yeah. They wanted to use those to do traffic analytics. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And they Rather wanted to- lay the rubber hoses across the road, that kind of thing. Right. Instead of having to install a whole bunch of equipment at yeah. the light pole, use the camera that was already there. Yeah. And so they, they had the bandwidth constraints. Video, bandwidth constraints. You actually couldn't even stream all the video from those cameras to the DOT data center. Oh, wow. They had to, you have to process it right there on the uh, pole. They have right. uh, enough compute there to process it. So that would be one that is bandwidth constraint. But mm-hmm. some of them are, are form factor constraints. Right. And some of them are, are the actual physical access constraint. They're going into weird places out in the middle of nowhere. And they, they, they're in the elements. You have to make sure they're sealed. Yeah, and, weatherproof. And, then to, and yeah. Well, and then you have to make sure they, the battery life, if they're out in the middle of nowhere, how do they charge their battery? If yeah. you go solar, the solar cells will get dirty. So you, you get all kinds of weird constraints. And, and as you uh, interview me, I won't be able to tell you all that because I have to work with the professional engineers on this kind of stuff as sure. we, as we do those. I just type. Once they've figured out a solution for a lot of these <laughs> IoT issues. Yeah. Part of your talk also included machine learning, like thinking through that scenario you were just describing about doing car counting. If there's enough compute there, I mean, couldn't you give an ML model that would just simply count the cars it saw? Yes. And that's what the client does. Okay. They don't just do that. They, they can detect uh, if the driver's going the wrong way, which is very important. Yeah. Right? That, that would be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> so, they're, they're looking to detect if drivers are going the wrong way. They're looking to count how many cars. They're looking to see how long a car was there. Right. They're looking to see for all kinds of metrics that can then help, you know, immediate resolution for immediate data, mm. letting you know if there's a traffic jam or if there was an accident at the right. intersection. And then the long-term analytics data of there's always traffic here at five o'clock, but one street over there isn't figure something out. Right. right. The thinking about machine learning model for traffic traffic, like identifying an accident, that's mm. an interesting machine learning problem because there are no two accidents are the same. Well, but they all seem to have flashing red lights, don't they? Only after the end of them. I'm thinking about yeah. before the flashing red get there. Like I, I want it to call for the flashing red lights. True. Yeah. Detecting smoke would be one thing you could probably yeah. do. Probably. I, I think there's also usually two cars very much closer together at weird <laughs> angles. Than there normally are. Right. Yeah. If you have an intersection uh, accident. At least two. <laughs> right. Have you done a lot of the machine learning work? Like training those kinds of models not in like so whenever i've done the machine learning work there's mm-hmm. there's like the machine learn there's the people who can do new research style machine learning right mm. i have done none of that right i've done the thing where the person who made the new machine learning research i then took that and reapplied it to something put yeah. it into the device right so right. the trained model like that would be the whole thing is like there's only so much horsepower on that pole but probably enough to run the model not enough to make the model yeah right oh yeah you definitely can't make the model right. on those well technically you can but not yeah, within but like, not, with, not in a reasonable length of time right. hey uh, guys hold that thought right there while we take a moment for this very important message hey carl here If you enjoy music to code by, you or someone you know might be interested in the app, which I've generically branded music to flow by. See what I did there? (laughs) It's a subscription model. And if you bought the complete collection of music to code by before October 24th, 2017, 
you are eligible to win a free six-month subscription. With that, you get access to all the tracks on your phone with offline support. You get continuous play and even a sleep timer. Download music to flow by in your app store and flow on. All right, we're back. .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Rich Campbell. And that's Jared Rhodes. And we're talking about uh, the Azure AI and edge computing and how they evolve together and all of that good stuff. In, in your talk, you, you brought out some other scenarios. Can we discuss a couple more? Sure, if I can remember them. <laughs> <laughs> um, Memory management? <laughs> yes. Uh, so, there are other scenarios. There yeah. is a retailer who is in the news with Azure lately. And they, from what I hear, are trying to... Uh, if you go into the store right now where I live, if you go into this particular store, you go to the checkout for some reason. I don't know why they have this. They've got this big monitor and it shows the self-checkout and they're drawing green boxes around people and it shows them moving around and all that. Again, I'm not sure why. And they're, they're letting me... showing this to the public? When you get in line to go to the, the self-checkout, you look up and it's, and it's big. It's, it's, I mean, they want me to see it. I can tell they want me to see it. Huh. I don't know if it's a, a deterrent or what, but that's, that's where it is. We're watching you kind of thing. Yeah, and, and in the store, I... Is I, it creepy? Don't steal the chiclets. So, that's not the creepiest thing that they do, honestly. When you go into a store, they track everything. Right, right. I, I think they even try to pull up your social media profiles if they can get the, the face on camera. And they wonder why people shop on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I don't know if they're innocent either. <laughs> no, they're not, of course, but at least they can't see you. You know, I've been using this the Uncanny Valley slide in talking about some of this AI technology. Okay. Right? And, and Uncanny Valley comes from robotics, mm. right? Where as long as robots are, are robotic or cartoony and so forth, everybody's fine. But when you start to make a robot that looks like a person, you hit this point where it's enough like a person that you know you're trying to be a person, but it's not enough like a person that you feel good about it. And it's almost like there's this revulsion reflex in it. Yeah. And so, and that's why they call it the Uncanny Valley. It's like it dips down into like it's a zombie or it's a corpse or something like that. If you get it perfect, then it's fine, but it's not quite fine. But I'm beginning to believe in this idea that it is an Uncanny Valley for certain machine learning behaviors, especially when you show, I mean, what are they doing there? You're showing us that you're watching us. Right. Like, what message did you think we were going to get? Mm. I'm all, I'm creeped out by that. Like, it's okay that you're watching us. Just don't brag about it. Well, you know what, though? <laughs> it might uh, convince you not to swipe that Snickers bar from the checkout line. But you're going to see it and bust me anyway. <laughs> I guess. Maybe they, that, maybe that's why they do it. I, I have to guess that's why. Yeah. Because it's right there. It's it's in full view, the one thing you see. But so, they do that and they're adding in more stuff. The, the stuff I've heard about that I may be involved with is if you walk down the aisle and you take something off or you put it back on the shelf, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they watch and they, they want to detect that and they want to know where it was, what was the item, where's your engagement? Right. Do you stop and do you stand in front of these bags of chips and walk away or right. or do you stay? That kind of stuff. Yeah, what do you right. see and what don't you see? You right. Know, we're all, I think especially in the West, a little brand blind now. Yeah. You think about how bright the colors are and how many styles there are. Typical grocery store shelf, like you just don't see. I have gone looking for a product that I know is on the shelf and I simply can't see it because there's so many things on that shelf. I wonder how long before they figure out what I'm shopping for. Like I'm ketogenic, so I don't eat sugar. Why is that man, why is that fat man reading the ingredients on bacon? (laughs) (laughs) Why did he put it back? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, ultimately, these do sound like things that would serve us, 
right? That, that would help the store tune the shelving and the organization to make it easier for, for us to find things. Yeah. You would hope. You, But they're not altruistic. I mean, they're just- They're trying them, to sell more stuff. Yeah, they just want to get stuff. They yeah. want to know, are you going to buy this or are you not? And mm-hmm. if not, if there's- Maybe there's correlation between two products and they want to know that maybe you were going to buy that bag of chips and you looked over and you know, saw some Oreos and you thought, I shouldn't have that bag of chips. Now that I've I've engaged and I've realized what I'm doing, you know, I'm going to move on. Mm. So maybe they're looking for those kind of correlations. The more data they have to them, the better. Right. Right. And so this stuff is just another way to gather a new data set. Yeah. What they do with the data, I guess, is ultimately the question is, are, are they helping me spend less time finding the things I want? Are they are they supersizing me? Right. Remember when that was a term, right? It's like, oh, no, I know what you want. I'm just going to make sure you buy the more expensive one. Yeah. You know? Upselling. Yeah. They, they, it, I, but I appreciate this idea that the tech ain't evil. It's what people do with the tech that can get evil. Boy, you know, <laughs> that is so true. It really is. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because it's tech. Yeah. You know, we, I don't know how how we necessarily stop that. Do you find yourself moving mostly retail-related work? No, no. no? Uh, the primary thing I've done over the past couple of years has been in the security. Mm-hmm. Uh, security was a big IoT adopter. As you said, home automation. Sure. Almost every uh, security company has a home automation product line tied to their panels. Yeah. Uh, trucking, logistics, those are huge in it as well. There's a lot of compliance that has to happen. That yeah, IoT there's, there's helps substantial solve. rules around what heavy trucks are, have to communicate to their places that they're moving in and, and how they identify themselves. Yeah, just, just recently a new one is going to be if, you have, if you're going across the U.S.-Mexico border, if you have, an, if you have a door it, and it closes, they track that now. It has to stay closed until you get to your destination. If you open it, they need to know about it and you have to report it. And you have to explain why that door was open. Right. That's a, not a bad idea, actually. And not a hugely difficult technical problem. No. But it definitely tackles a whole class of issues about driving in, uh, across the border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's very interesting. It just those, those kinds of useful IoT type things. Stuff you would immediately think of. Are there any IoT implementations that you know of that you don't think most people do? That aren't aware of, and maybe if they were, would be surprised. It'd have to be that retail stuff we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's the one I would, the security and retail. And I know in security, they're, they track so much about you, yeah. where you are, what you're doing, your face, maybe your, your social media profiles, that uh, that can get a little creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I mean, the home automation, it's not like it's maliciously tracking things, but right. if you flip a switch and we have a database that logs activity hmm. then we're going to know when you flip switches yeah but that also tells us if we want to run an aggregate when are you home yeah or yeah. when you're not home or yeah you said you weren't home and lights are being turned on like th- th- these can serve you as well yeah you know i put a pretty uh, high automation uh, alarm system into the coast yeah. so you can turn the alarm uh, arm it and disarm it from the phone and things don't mm-hmm. have it on the house in the suburbs and the wife's like hey uh kind of like the app can you mm. get that working down here too mm. like hey when the wife wants more technology things are going well <laughs> like yeah but have you got a cell phone repeater yet yeah actually i do you did you convinced her that was okay oh no it wasn't her on the end it was i had to redo the phone system again in the house oh i thought i thought um she didn't want it because of the radiation yeah the, we had that moment yeah. during the reno which i think it was just like we just torn the whole house, put it back together again, and it was yeah. just one more thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, it got introduced when the the daughters were complaining that the new house had bad cell reception uh-huh. in their uh, in their bedrooms. Yeah. And I was looking at revising the phone system. It's like, well, I got a thousand dollars to spend on fixing the phone system, 
But for $1,000, I can get a really good cell repeater. Yeah. And the cell repeater sold. I think I got mine on Newegg maybe eight years ago for $400. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, and even She Who Must Be Obeyed noticed when her office in the basement suddenly had a solid cell signal. She's like, that's Cancer good. be damned. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> if, if, if you're worried about the cancer, the cell signal ain't what's going to get you. There's <laughs> yeah, yeah, many that's more things before that. So true. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, hey. Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's uh, time to put all my external hard drives in an Omni helmet so it'll call 911 when one of them crashes. Did your helmet crash? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I when one of the that. hard drives crashed. Oh, you See ch- what I did there? I know, I get that. I'm Do I need up. to explain it to you? You're I mean, Canadian. You, you should know that. I, I'm trying to get over the idea you're still using spinning media. That freaks me out, right? <laughs> Let me use my friend SSD. He's your friend. He'll take good care of you. <laughs> Try <laughs> Crash this. <laughs> You always have a wittier comeback than me. They teach you that in Canadian school? No, 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 no. no. I've been hanging around the Carl Franklin School of Comedy for many years now. (laughs) That's great. It's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today. Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. And new this year is a free online training program for all license holders. And with this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download, and also consider supporting .NET Rocks by making a monthly pledge at patreon.netrocks.com to ensure we stay on the air for years to come. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Justin Smith. Congratulations, Justin. Yeah. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for Justin. Justin just won a $200 Amazon gift card. Compliments of Progress Telerik just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to join the fan club, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. And man, we ought to get busy on that, huh? Yeah, kind of close. Kind of close. Kind of like now. Kind of like now. like December. <laughs> kind of yeah. like next week, maybe. Yeah. All right, we should do that. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, Jared, if you had $5,000 to spend today on technology, what would you buy? So this is going to be a longer answer than you probably wanted. No, no, it's quite so, all right. When you asked that, uh, I didn't have an answer, and I had to ask. So I asked on Twitter, and I asked on LinkedIn, I asked social media outlets mm-hmm. uh, what different people would get. And so I, I've got some good responses. I've got uh, John Heimbook. He'd, he'd get a 3D printer. Yep. Okay. It's a good uh, way to spend five grand. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Salicito. She said she'd put $5,000 into AWS just to run their their machines. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you got $5,000. Why not use the really big hardware that you don't have to deal with after you're done spending on yeah. it? Mm-hmm. And then I asked on Twitter, and I've got uh, 
Bob Crowley, he said he'd create his build the escape room puzzles that he's oh, yeah. been looking to make. Oh, yeah. my. Right. And then uh, uh, Tony Henrique said he'd get a Microsoft Surface. Hmm. I'm assuming he's got some stuff left over because I don't know of a Surface that gets close to 5000 but he might be getting a really, really good I one. I mean, a fully loaded book, two is three grand. Yeah. The new Surface Studio, the the, the new yeah. one's over three as well. But if you really want to buy a Surface as expensive, you buy a Surface Hub. And then five grand ain't enough. Right. <laughs> the Surface Studio, the new one, have a better graphics card? Uh, it's got a great graphics card, but it's got a bigger screen, too. But wow. it's still got that pivot arm. Nice. So, out of all of those, would you choose one or do you have your own? So, this is where it gets to be a longer answer than I think you were looking for. <laughs> so, the person I had to ask, I work, I told you I work with the engineers and they solve the problem. Sure. Right. So, when you do an IoT project, people come to you and they say, we want X. Now, they're usually either hardware manufacturers or software developers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, if we end up with one where we have to spec out hardware, I have a professional engineer, Marshall Corey, that yeah. I work with, okay. and he always specs out the hardware. Right. And so, I, I, I was like, hey, buddy. He's, he's also a very good friend of mine. We've known each other for years. I, I was like, hey, buddy, if you had $5,000, what would you spend it on? And he, he sort of, you know, he told me about some things that he had, and then he started talking about these different switches, and he wanted mm. to get more reliable, and he kept going, and he kept going, and he kept going. And I was like, that's, that's a weird answer. So, you know the thing, the, the saying about buying a boat, like the best mm. days of a boat owner's life is when they buy the boat. Second best is when they sell it. Is when they sell the boat. Yeah. Because, you know, a boat is a hole in the water into which you pour money. Right. right. Yeah. So, that applies to myself and Marshall when it comes to buying hardware. Sure. <laughs> because when he started telling me about the stuff that he had in his garage, I started to realize that he He's might have been getting defensive. He was like, yeah. why are you calling me out? Why are you asking what I would spend all this money on? <laughs> so, if you gave me $5,000 to buy hardware right now, I would not buy hardware. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because I have hardware, just right. like you're talking about the gadgets. Yeah. I have professional grade hardware, stuff that you don't put in except for like train switches right so you're saying you'd buy azure credits i i probably wouldn't do that either no? <laughs> if i had five thousand dollars i'd be like you, you can't have it yeah. i've already oh, okay. spent that money Smart. i'm trying to get it back now yeah. <laughs> all right okay the, actually five grand with an azure yeah it'll take you a while to spend well like, depends not on if you turn on one of those machine learning uh boxes oh yeah i know it'll take yeah. you a month yeah you can you can burn down a lot of money with the big gpu boxes but what, what i would actually buy so if if i actually had a choice i've got a few things uh, one would be I'd actually buy the the Atmel developer tools, the professional developer tools, and the the boards and the different placements, so I could actually make my own circuit boards. And oh, I'd wow. probably get a three D printer, just because my wife and I we've been doing uh, cosplay stuff lately, and I've been building the the electronics and the movable parts and all that. So that would give me uh, a way to get that and and put it into the cosplay stuff without an argument, because you gave me the money. Dude, right? you could right. go as R two D two. There you I, go. I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are the progressive professional grade IoT hardware? Like the, you, you mentioned Atmel? Atmel, TI. Uh, I mean, we could sit here all day, mm -hmm. Qualcomm. It doesn't sound like you're bound to any one of them. Like it's just like whatever the customer wants to use, you're good. I, it comes, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into specking out the hardware. Mm -hmm. it, it, obviously, what's required. Hardware is an interesting industry because it's, it's way different than software. A lot of your margin in hardware is the hardware itself. Right. So when you spec out the hardware, you're really trying to get only what's needed whereas you know software we just throw everything we can at it until it works whereas hardware you have to strip it down to the bare minimum to try to get the most profit out of that piece of hardware right right, right. so when you go out to spec that hardware 
you do that. Mm-hmm. But then it also, maybe they have an existing relationship. Maybe they are specced on a specific type. Uh, and if you look at things like uh, IoT Edge, it supports containers on, you know, Linux has container support for ARM. Right. Windows doesn't have container support for ARM. Mm. So when you start building out certain software aspects, you have to make sure that there's supported hardware for that as well. Right. What about, you looked at Azure Sphere at all or is it too new? I looked at it, yeah, yeah. but uh, if we start talking about it, I'll just start rambling you'll and trying an- to cover up the fact that I don't know much about it. <laughs> Nobody knows much about it yet, right? I'm mostly getting shows from the Microsoft people that are building it. Right. Because it's just right at the edge. Like, for me, I'm waiting for guys like you to have actually put it in the field mm. and say, hey, okay, well, this is what I like and this is what I didn't like. I mean, I like their idea of yeah. sort of security from the ground up hardware operating system app. It's just until I see somebody out in the world going, yep, used it. This is why I'm safer. I don't know that it's true, you know? It fills a void for me that I don't encounter a lot. Oh, yeah? Right? You have low-end hardware, which a lot of times if you go very low-end to the point that you need such a small operating system, you're you're without an operating system. You need Mm. low power. You need it to be able to go into sleep cycles or you need a real-time operating system, Mm -hmm. which this could support. Uh, but then if we talk about edge, because this is a question I actually get during my talk sometimes, as we talk about the edge computing, people are like, well, does Azure IoT Edge work with Sphere? Yeah. And I maybe, but yeah. there's so different use cases that I, I, I don't really see why you would do it. If you have all the compute power that you need edge, and then you have the need to have such a constrained operating system, mm. why? Yeah. Why would you be trying to pair those two together? So, Sphere, I haven't had a chance to really play with or investigate. Uh, a, because it doesn't really solve a problem I encounter a lot. Right. And, and B, the hardware vendors have to be completely on board and have the hardware ready. And then you have to have the pre-installation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which it still looks like there's sample sets of hardware that comply with Azure Sphere so far. Right. It seems to me like it's more of a novice product, too. Like, you've obviously had some experience here. You already think about security, and I'd love to talk through how you approach it. This sounds like folks that are new to IoT and just want – they don't want to have to figure all that out. It's like here's this, a baked-in solution all mm. the way down. Yeah, but if it is – I'd agree more that Edge is more for novice than than something like Sphere. Okay. I just don't think stripped-down Linux versions are for uh, – stripped-down Linux versions are for anybody that is a novice. Right. I mean, that would – could you imagine? No. No, no. It's, yeah. it's also, and you just sort of said this casually, but we really haven't talked about it on Don and Ross. Like, dude, Microsoft has its own Linux distro. Right. <laughs> Which is, what world are we living Those in? Those are the same people that use uh, mechanical hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> Spinning media? <laughs> 1998 calls and wants its hard drive back. So, has the hardware um, for IoT devices evolved, you know, in the last few years such that we're the, the kinds of things we're doing at the edge um, on these devices we used to do in the cloud maybe just a couple of years ago? And I'm thinking of, you know, um, object recognition, that kind of thing. I noticed that that is happening more at the device level, whereas we used to just be sending up uh, pictures every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I think that's more the software. Yeah. In fact, if you look right now, because I before I had the interview, I was like, okay, 
let's go open up all the docs and make sure that we're up to date and we, yeah. don't, we don't say anything that's out of date. So one of it was for cognitive services because cognitive services, from what I can tell, they're just a, as much as they can get from cognitive services onto the edge, yeah. they're going to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they just open it up for, I think, OCR and facial uh, face detection for private preview. Nice. Yeah, okay. And so, yes, the hardware, I don't think the hardware is changing. I think it's the software. We're getting yeah. to where the software is uh, more complete. The models are more... Are, mature. They're more mature, yeah. So, the, when you try to ship a uh, machine learning model to the edge, it's not the same one you should run in the cloud. Right. right. Yeah, it's got to be stripped down. Right. And yeah. so, I think that's more there than the hardware has really changed because the hardware industry, from what I can tell, because again, I, I lean on the engineering side more for that. Mm. It, it's not really different per se. Uh, a lot of their focus isn't on compute power anymore. Right. Uh, most of the vendors are, it's for low power, it's for the different connectivity types, it's for developer tools to make sure things go a lot easier. Yeah. And then pipelines and all that to make sure that you can get cheap hardware to sell. Is it me or does Bluetooth still suck? <laughs> Depends on how you use it. Ah, <laughs> uh, good answer. So I'm uh, trying to use it. <laughs> it's the problem, yeah. Uh, we've, we've, had, we've had Bluetooth for a couple of clients. And uh, one of them we try to do is indoor GPS. You know, you can use Bluetooth low energy. There's a tough problem. Yeah. And uh, it is a tough problem because... If you have beacons, maybe it helps, but... Well, that, and that's what we were going to do. We we're going to mm -hmm. do beacons. It was for a uh, subway station, you know, help do some indoor GPS. Right. And the moment we walked in, it was... We looked at the floor. We looked at the ceiling. We looked at the walls. And mm. we're like, okay, this will never happen. It's right. not going to work. That was easy. Yeah. This bu this building is not going to allow these signals to travel well enough. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, you, if you want to pay us to put a bunch of hardware in here, I won't say no. Yeah. But none of this is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you wanted that working part, this is not <laughs> the technology for you. Not a feature. So, Bluetooth is one of those things where it was uh, it was a hammer yeah uh, bluetooth has a very specific set of use cases and if you go around using it as a hammer it's not going to solve those right sure. works good in the car mm -hmm. works good in the car works good if you've got something local even right. if it's uh like a, a a pacemaker i've seen actually have some of that in there right. mm. they've got it to where the uh insulin pumps they have it right it's local yeah, but li really local area network like really on local. the body area two or three network. feet yeah a meter or yeah. two yeah, maybe yeah, and where you're not having a lot of range change, yeah. and you have a controlled environment so that you don't have a lot of signal yeah. disturbance or whatever you'd call it. Yeah. And the latency, has it gotten better with low-power Bluetooth or the latest versions? I know there's latency issues with Bluetooth, right? Sure. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're just streaming audio. Yeah. But if it's real-time, like way. if you're singing into a microphone and you want to hear that immediately in your ear, it's not going to work. You're going to be sad. Yeah, you're going to be sad. I, yeah, and again, I think that's the hammer. That's yeah. yeah. It probably still has latency issues, but when you said using it for voice for instant feedback, I was like, well, why? Why would you use Bluetooth? Well, okay. So I play in a band, <laughs> and we do in-ear monitors, right? Right. And right now we string twenty-foot extension cables from our from our headphone amplifiers to everybody in the band. And some some people get longer extension cables just because, you know, nothing beats copper for instant sound. Yeah. Right. right. Um, RF is interesting, but if you've got a 10-piece band, now you've got 10 channels mm -hmm. of radio frequencies that you have to account for. And I just never wanted to go wireless because of that interference problem. So, uh, I'm always looking for the next, you know, wireless technology. That's why I asked the question. I don't, you, I don't expect you to answer it. I'm just... <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get to indulge my own... Uh, <laughs> interests in this show well the indoor gps problem the indoor location problem like yeah that there's been smart people trying to solve that problem for years mm. 
Like, and the fact that it hasn't been cracked. Right. That it's just, there's a reliable way to track people's locations in buildings, irrespective of materials and space and so forth. Like, that's a hard, I can see if you're in a big square room and you got a sensor in each corner and you can, you know, not triangulate, but with four, I don't know what the eight word is there, quadrillate, I'm not sure. But uh, you could probably um, approximate their location within the room if you have you know, three or more sensors, but, uh, but it is a hard problem, especially if you've got, you know, every, every, especially if you've got corridors and winding places, not an easy problem. Well, and confidence when they move in and out of a room. Right. And, and actually have it popular and reliable enough and inexpensive enough that most buildings use the same thing so that you get a standard enough that it starts showing up on smartphones anyway. It's it's funny to hear sort of that conversation as it goes to indoor GPS. Yeah. Because we talked about IoT and then we talked about indoor GPS. And so your mind just sort of goes to that, you know, wireless signals or mm. sensors. I mean, it's it's kind of is a solved problem though if you really think about it. Maybe it's more expensive than most people like. Right. But if you put cameras in the in the store, you put cameras in the building, you've got an indoor GPS. Right. I suppose you so. can recognize the people. Your cameras right. have to be good enough mm. and you can see where they're moving. Yeah. But it's it's if you think about it, because I, I encounter this a lot, like a, a someone wanted to do something with parking. Right. And they wanted to put the sensors, because here in Europe, they, there's a couple different places where they have the sensor and the parking spot, yeah. and it does all this. And I just remember thinking, well, you've got cameras already in the parking deck. Right. Maybe we just use cameras. Yeah. Because video tells you a lot of information that all these other sensors... Struggle with. Well, they tell you more, but I, cameras, again, they, they know the camera... Uh, that they bought, they know how to change the cameras out, they know how sure. to do support for it. Do you think the Microsoft Connect is considered passe now? I mean, now that we can recognize people on video with standard video cameras, are people still using the Connect to understand movement, people, uh, recognize people? Yeah, if you, uh, if you look at some of the, uh, what, is that, what is that called, the Microsoft uh, uh, accessibility, the new accessibility stuff with machine learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I mean, the Connect is used a lot in there. Uh, there's been research for years uh, for people who don't have full fidelity mm. uh, to be able to use something like the Connect because it can it can track the the different points much easier than you get on a camera. Yeah. Not only that, it's already got the software for that. Sure. So th- using that for accessibility, I mean, Connect still fits there. Right. Uh, I I was thinking about the indoor GPS or indoor tracking of people. You know that if you had two or three of these things up and then you could you could find out where people are but not necessarily identify them but you could identify them through the camera you could yeah. I, I don't know enough about the connect in that case yeah would it be able to look at that many people at once no you're right uh if you have a room full it certainly wouldn't work in grand central terminal <laughs> it would not no yeah. it can try i think last time i checked it can track up to 10 people but it can really only track the the skeletons of a limited set of people but uh, but is it even necessary with is a it modern even necessary? camera and modern machine learning? Then that was my question. Yeah, one of the uh, the startups or one of the digital transformations. You know the uh, when you go to the airport, you go to the theater. They've got those little stands where you take it and you can create a uh, separation so you can have a queue. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Those little poles that have the yep. thing. Yeah, uh, I believe one of the digital transformation stories was them because now I think they primarily make uh, camera systems. Because hmm. uh, what was their company? They they controlled crowds. They told you information about crowds. Right. Mm. So now it's primarily in the camera space just because they can look at a crowd, tell you where it is, yeah. try to help you 
move that crowd around. Yeah. Wow. And fewer sensors doing more things just seems to make more sense. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because then you can afford to spend on better cameras. Like, right. And as a developer. Yeah. You have to get one thing communicating. Right. And the that camera. one thing tells you everything. Yeah. Well, whether it's a camera or whether it's a multi-sensor that has eight or nine different data points, mm-hmm. as a developer, having to only get that one thing talking is much better than having to get... All these different things to try to synthesize these sensors together. Well, right. the, the other thing is that you don't always necessarily need a higher resolution camera. I mean, if you're trying to identify somebody and take a picture so that a, you know, law enforcement can match the, the, the picture, that's one thing. But from what we understand about computer vision, the low resolution photos will be greater, better for object recognition than higher resolution photos. Because you, you basically are looking at shapes. And if think about it. If I was looking at a, a laptop, you know, there's so much detail there that, you know, a, an algorithm has to pick and choose what to look for. But if, but if it's just a basic shape and it's blurry, you know, it might be actually easier for an algorithm to identify, oh, that's a certainly laptop. Faster. Yeah, certainly faster. There's less yeah. data to chew through and sort out and figure out what's significant and what isn't. I think most of them do that anyways. You know, the first thing it does with that image is... Turn the res down. Turn right. the res yeah. down, yeah. Even if they're capturing at a high res for whatever, for a variety of reasons, really. It was right. a, the, the analytics would be on a lower resolution. It was someone we talked to at NDC, Richard, about OpenCV, about computer vision, and it must Yon have been... Key, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Then you remember that. <laughs> I do I do remember the discussion though and that he had uh built using OpenCV which is an open source yeah. computer vision and he was running on like a Raspberry Pi. Right, he was running on a Raspberry Pi and he did a thing to recognize that there's a man at the door with a pizza. Wow. Which is priorities, man. Right. Actually I saw a great uh IoT type project using that same sort of system um for a man who had a cat who was a good mouser. Mm. And so he put an airlock on the cat door mm. and a camera on it. And so if the cat was carrying a mouse, it wouldn't open the inner door. That's funny. So it literally looked at the shape of the cat's <laughs> face to say, that cat's got a mouse in its mouth right now. Nope, you can't come in. That's wow. great. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that is useful technology. It is. Yeah. <laughs> That's great stuff. By the, by the way, I said a man at the door with a pizza. It also could have been a woman. Or That's other. true. Let's see gender neutral about our pizza That's delivery. Right. That's right. It'd work either way. Yep. So, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we before we wrap up this conversation? Anything we missed? Um, no, I don't think that, I don't think we've missed anything. I, it, if people want to try it out, though, yeah. I could tell them to try it out. Let's I think right now you can you can get started with uh, both the Edge platform and then the computer vision shipping it to the Edge, and if mm. you can get in the private previews, face detection, and uh, OCR, you can get all of that and try it out on the Edge just by going to the Azure portal or the Cognitive Services portal and signing up. Awesome. That is great. That sounds fun. And uh, listen, uh, Jared, thank you very much for talking to us today. It's been great to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com 
for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a